you're at a place you just discovered. And being an American Express Platinum card member with Global Dining Access by Resi helped you score tickets to quite the dining experience. Okay, chef. You're looking at something you've never seen before, much less tasted. After your first bite, you say nothing because you're speechless. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your dining experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. When you're an American Express Platinum card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even... Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Bet the board in conjunction with NASCAR presents Stay Green. Stay Green is your first stop for all the metrics, matchups, and money-making opportunities at the track each race week. This is Stay Green, the NASCAR betting podcast. Here are your hosts, Todd Furman and racing analyst Chris Wormy. Welcome into the Stay Green podcast, a bet the board production in conjunction with NASCAR. A busy race weekend that unfolded last weekend at Road America. We'll get to some of the track happenings that we saw a first time winner in Tyler Reddick and as always around these parts plenty of ground to cover in our unique podcast format I'm your host Todd Furman joined as always by professional better and race car analyst or racing analyst however we want to try and put it Chris Wormy and Wormser hell of a weekend that we saw more importantly able to get to the window for our bankrolls and keep our listeners happy through episode two yeah I've never been so nervous for bets in my life and just giving them publicly in this format when you're kind of backed by NASCAR, I've never felt so much pressure. But I'm, I'm happy we're 3-1 and one in our, our public picks. So uh, hopefully we'll just kind of keep that going this week in Atlanta. Hey, a little bit of a different expectation when you're putting these informa- these picks out there for public consumption than when you're betting week in, week out as a professional. You know over the course of time that you're going to take your lumps and you're going to be able to put yourself in advantageous positions. It's different when you limit your card and try and pick the best of the best. So thank you, Daniel Suarez, for finishing top five and Austin Sindrick, more or less a rocking chair winner in his head-to-head matchup against Ryan Blaney. For those folks new to the Stay Green podcast, want to introduce you to the format that you're going to see us adhere to, not only on this show, but also going forward. Stage one, we kind of recap what we saw last weekend and try and identify takeaways from that race that we can use going forward and make more informed handicapping decisions. Section two, or stage two, I should say, we'll get into some of the NASCAR handicapping nuts and bolts, some metrics that uh, Chris is going to tell you why they're not so important that I'm sure will infuriate a lot of members of 
of the NASCAR betting community, but more about that when we get there. And last, but certainly not least, a preview of this weekend's race as we head to Atlanta Motor Speedway for the Quaker State 400. But before we get into all of that, Chris, you and I kind of teased way back when, or I guess two weeks ago on episode one, uh, about the unique encounter it took for us to start working together uh, as colleagues and and obviously progressing from there. So I'm going to give you the floor to kind of peel back the curtain a little bit and share a personal anecdote that hopefully our listeners find pretty entertaining. Yeah, that's a good story. Uh, I was headed home. uh, I think it was on Christmas Eve, um, I don't know, however many years ago, eight, ten years ago, and... I got on the plane. It was, I remember it was a Southwest flight. I just plopped down and opened up my computer and I hopped on five dimes. That was back when we could, you know, use that website. And the girl next to me takes off her headphones and says, Oh, are, are you, are you a gambler? I was like, Oh gosh, here we go. I might get lectured about betting on sports and just not interested <laughs> in this at this point. I just want to go home and see my family. And I said, yes, I, you know, I, I dabble. And she said, Oh, you should check out my brother's blog. I was like, oh, okay. And she goes, oh, yeah, check it out. It's toddstake.com. I'm like, all right. So I go to the website, and I'm kind of reading, and um, I see your pretty little face next to the, you, you know some of your um, your editorial work. And I actually Man, turned. that was one hell of a clip. That was one hell of a clip art job oh. that uh, my, my <laughs> Just, website creator back in the day put up there with my ugly mug, arms crossed, and I looked yeah, like I was in the tail end of a bender with a puffy face there. Yeah, yeah the arms crossed was a little cheesy. I'm not going to lie. But anyway, I... I turned to her and said, I actually kind of agree with a lot of the things that your brother's writing about. And she's like, oh my gosh, do you want to meet him? And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's hold hands before we, you know, we do anything. And she's like, no, he'd love to meet you. He'd love to meet you. This would be great. And uh, yeah, she ended up setting us up to, to have a beer at MGM. And um, I guess kind of the rest is history. Yeah, go figure. You use your sister six years your junior to kind of set you up with a gambling partner going forward. But I'm glad she didn't lecture you on the merits or lack thereof sometimes of sports betting, that it was able to help us grow and blossom a profitable and productive relationship. And I think back to some of those old days when NASCAR markets were more in their infancy than anything else. And of course, we had to lean on one another to be able to move money through various channels, me being on the strip. Uh, I think you sent me to more properties on a week-in, week-out basis to bet Kyle Busch in Xfinity races than I ever want to try and recount as long as I continue to bet this sport. Well, here's the thing. I mean, when we first started betting kind of, um, you know, together, I guess you could say, we were seeing Kyle Busch prices in Xfinity anywhere from like three to four to one to win an Xfinity race. I mean, you wouldn't dare see that price these days. So uh, it, it those were very profitable races when you have uh, when you had Kyle Busch. I think he was in the 18. This was even before he was in the 54 in the Xfinity series. So uh, yeah, those were very profitable days. I think I was asked last night on a, a podcast, who's the most profitable driver or, or who's you know the guy that I've made the most money on, and I think it's hands down Kyle Busch. He also races the most, but he's also just won the most as well. And if you make most of your money on outrights, uh, like I have in the past, then obviously I'm going to go with Kyle Busch there. Yeah, it's one of those things, evolve or die. We've obviously seen the Xfinity series change quite a bit. Uh, and it's funny that when we talk about Xfinity, of course, last weekend you saw a cup driver pass for the lead in the waning stages uh, of Road American, Kyle Larson, and full marks go to Ty Gibbs for racing cleanly to be able to grab that checkered flag. Uh, I think his talent is incredible, and it'll be interesting to see how it translates to the cup series, knowing what kind of equipment he's in. But more importantly, before we get into what we saw on the cup side of things, we saw a rather unfortunate result 
unfold in the middle of the race. It actually took out one of the matchups that you and I bet with Noah Gragson driving right into Sage Karam. We heard Dale Jr. come out with some pretty pointed comments about how that kind of behavior won't be tolerated, especially for a young driver that wants to make a transition to the next level. When you were watching the race on Saturday, what was the first knee-jerk response that you had when you saw all of that unfold? And not just two drivers, more or less, taking themselves out, but essentially creating what felt like a 10- to 12-car pileup right there in the middle of America. Well, at first, you, you have no idea what actually happened. And then when they show the replay, you're like, oh, man, he just turned into him on you know, a little bit of a straightaway. And that looks bad. Uh, he should have maybe just said he got loose instead of kind of admitting to the mistake that wrecked a ton of cars. And obviously Brandon Brown was, I don't want to say seriously hurt, but you just have to make sure that you're going to do this stuff safely. If you're going to take a retaliation, you know, the, the last thing we want to see is someone get seriously injured. I'm all for drivers have at it, but I think that there's a time and a place for it. And, you know, however many laps in 15 laps into a, you know, a road course race, I don't think was the right time to pick a, a fight with, with Sage Karam. Uh, definitely not the right time to do that. Yeah. And I mean, Junior even admitted as such, he goes, Hey, there's plenty of slow speed corners uh, around the track. And I'm paraphrasing here that you can put a little bumper to them when you're not going at such high speeds. If you want to make your point known, we've seen it plenty in the cup series, whether it's Kevin Harvick, whether it's Denny Hamlet earlier this year, uh, with Ross Chastain, whether what we've seen in the past with Joey Logano, the list goes on and on. There is a level of on-track justice that gets metered out, but there's a time and a place to try and do all of it. So I think that was one of the bigger takeaways, and it put a little bit of a dark cloud over what I thought was a very impressive driving performance from the 54, beating a cup driver there. We'll, of course, see Kyle Larson run it back in the Xfinity Series again at Watkins Glen in a few weeks as he looks to get a little bit of time behind the wheel. And why is that important, though? Worm, when you look at HMS, I mean, the five, the nine of Chase Elliott, both were outstanding more or less from the drop of the green flag on Sunday. I know it's only one data point and neither one of them was able to win the race, but suffice to say that HMS is starting to figure things out on the road course and we're going to have to potentially adjust when we get to Watkins Glen and a couple of the road tracks coming up. Well, I, I think it might be a little aggressive to say all of HMS. And here's why. If you look at the fastest laps of the race, Chase Elliott had 28 and Kyle Larson only had one. So I think that there was a huge difference between the nine and the five. And then obviously you look at the other cars in that stable, they weren't anywhere close to that. So I, I think it was just great for Chase Elliott, who just so nonchalantly last week, oh, our road program isn't, you know, where it has been in the past. And, oh, I probably won't qualify <laughs> well. And then I'm going to pull it and I'm going to lead most of the laps. And so I, I was kind of, you know, you, you want to listen to driver comments. And for him to kind of just be a little... I don't know, blah, about what he thought he would have in the race. Uh, it's kind of shocking because he had by far the most fast laps uh, throughout the race. I, Larson was great. I think that there's definitely an advantage for someone like Larson who doesn't have a ton of road experience to run in that Xfinity series. Um, I think that what that, I think that really helps drivers early in the race. They know what adjustments they need after one or two laps, whereas a lot of these other guys are still trying to feel out their car. And I'm always high on drivers that ran the day before uh, in the Xfinity series or even truck series, because I just think that they're quicker to make the, the right adjustment to make their car a little bit better um, versus a guy that's just trying to feel out maybe the different track temperature that they had uh, during practice versus the race. 
Well, and I'll say one thing, too, that we've seen when Fox has a lot of these cup drivers in the booth. I feel like those guys learn just as much, even when they're not behind the wheel, by watching every lap, trying to figure out which lines are available. And while it's not an apples-to-apples comparison with the cup car to Xfinity by any stretch, and when you talk about the transmission, the H pattern versus a digital shifter and everything else that's there, I still think these guys, when they're fully entrenched and engaged, can learn quite a bit. And why is that important? Well, you saw a driver that started the race on Saturday in Xfinity, didn't finish where he wanted to, be able to parlay that going forward and get his first ever win in the Cup Series. That, of course, being Tyler Reddick, who becomes the 41st driver in NASCAR to win at all three levels of the series. He'd been a bridesmaid a number of times, finishing second on the Bristol Dirt and the unfortunate circumstances late, getting knocked off the lead by Chase Briscoe, second in Darlington, third in Phoenix. And now suddenly here we are talking about one of the more talented drivers who finally has broken through and maybe a realistic threat to put a little scare into some of the old hats as we get deeper into the season. Well, I think it's just really important for someone like him to win a race. We've seen it. We saw it with Larson. We saw it with Chase Elliott. It took a long time for those guys to actually get those wins. There's so much pressure on these these young drivers to win right away especially when they're in competitive equipment so I was really excited to see Tyler Reddick win because the next time he is you know about to make a pass for the lead he knows he should be there and I think that that confidence is is as important as any other factor when when capping a race is hey this guy knows he can win he's passed I mean if you're going to pass a car to win a race and you pass Chase Elliott on a road course and a track where he's dominated uh you know both races that we've had there. I think that that speaks volumes for Tyler Reddick's talent and where that road course program is uh, at RCR. Yeah. And I mean, Chase had plenty of opportunities uh, over the last 15 laps of that race to kind of get to his rear bumper and, you know, force Tyler Reddick into a mistake to his credit. He was able to drive away. And I love the back and forth between him and his crew chief saying, you know what? Don't worry about what's going on behind you. Let me focus on that. Just focus on hitting your marks going forward. Uh, And Tyler Reddick over the last three to five laps was able to put a little separation there and drive off to the win. Thanks in part to his teammate in Austin Dillon, who took one for the team, found a way to make sure he got off the track, not forcing NASCAR to throw a little caution with two laps to go. Oh, I was screaming, stay green. I was screaming, stay green. (laughs) You need teammates on your side and uh, a perfect scenario there. And you saw the energy and excitement that came from Austin Dillon with Tyler Reddick getting his first victory. But with the sweet comes the sorrow. And when we're talking about surprises and disappointments, what were some of the biggest takeaways that you saw from last weekend's race? Oh, Kyle Busch. I guess all of everyone that's driving a Toyota other than Martin Truex Jr., who wasn't even great, but relative to the other guys that are um, working with that manufacturer. I mean, Kyle Busch was a complete non-factor. I mean, I was I was shocked to to see him finish 29th. I mean, even when he does start from the rear, I know he had the the engine change. I still expect someone of his caliber to be able to drive through the field somewhat, and he couldn't do it at all. So uh, I I could not believe that in in someone that like I said in the past has made me a lot of money. It's it's always hard to fade Kyle because he's it never seems like he's super happy with his car. So you never know when he actually has a decent car or he's genuinely upset with it I just can't believe that those guys didn't uh couldn't finish even inside the top you know inside the top 20 I was shocked 
Yeah, I mean, pretty quick turnaround from Sonoma. There was obviously some level of optimism that JGR was going to make improvements. And to your point, the Toyota camp at large. But Martin Truex finishes 13th. Nobody else inside the top 15. I mean, the 20, who you said has been making poor pit stops throughout the course of the season. And Christopher Bell felt like he was in the pits for about 30 seconds, allowed the 11 to get there, although I think the 20 ran better. You saw changes to his pit crew. The 11 continues to rack up penalties, this time twice for driving through too many pit boxes. I think it takes his season total uh, up to 25. And when we're talking about road courses, I mean, Bubba Wallace has a long way to go before we can talk about looking to isolate him as a bet-on guy in head-to-head matchups, let alone some of the outright markets. We'll see exactly how much can change the next road course we go to. But we're talking about some of the teams, and one team that stood out to me, Worm, was Team Penske. I know we bet against Ryan Blaney. Uh, we isolated a matchup with his teammate, taking Austin Sindrick in the head, in the head-to-head. But Ryan Blaney's average finish on road courses this year still inside the top ten. Austin Sindrick comes in as a bit of a road ringer, if we can use that term. We know that's a specialty at six, and. With them in the same mix, normally you'd expect a consummate veteran to be right there at the forefront, but Joey Logano continues to struggle every time we're not making left turns. Yeah, they're they're kind of like high beta drivers. You know, they're either really good or really bad, especially on a road course. You know, if they don't have experience, um, you know, just extensively, a poor handling race car can just exacerbate those problems in, in some of the places where they're really inefficient on the track. You know, I thought it was really interesting if we we're going to talk about just, you know, Cindric is I said last week that I did not think that the driver that won stage two would have a chance to win the race. And I'm going to go ahead and edit that and say, if you won stage one, you don't even have a chance to win the race. I mean, Austin Cindric had a fast race car, decides to stay out and win stage one. And he, it took him a long time to work his way back up. to I think he finished seventh. And, you know, we're talking about a fast race car that completely took himself out of the race by winning stage one. Blaney wins stage two, and he actually worked his way back up to like 11th or 12th, uh, which I thought was great driving by him. You know, remember, there's a lot of fall off on these tires at this track. So, you know, having three lap fresher tires definitely does play an advantage, um, I think, both in the short and the long run here. But I, I was just shocked that that um, Cindric decided to take that stage win when he had a legit chance of, of winning the race. I didn't think it would take him out though. I thought he would be able to work his way back up, but he wasn't able to. Yeah. I mean, I think you talked about it and highlighted it definitely being an issue that you have to have properly timed cautions, especially on a road course when crew chiefs go in essentially driving the race backwards. And for Austin Sindrick, who does have the Daytona 500 win on his resume, apparently the team decided it was too good an opportunity to pass up getting that stage win, picking up a valuable playoff point there. Uh, as we figured some drivers would be racing for the win. Others would elect to try and race for playoff points. And that's kind of what Chase Elliott did. He f- had a chance in both stages to pick up points if it, they decided that was going to be the optimal strategy. But when you're the nine, you're out there trying to win races. And I think it changed a little bit of the dynamic and how things unfolded there. One to go as far as stage one. Want to make sure there wasn't anything I left on the table that you saw that you wanted to try and highlight from last weekend's cup race. No, I think we pretty much covered it. I think that there didn't see a lot of passing up front. I was a little bit disappointed in that. I thought whatever driver kind of got out to a little bit of a lead in stage three was probably going to win the race. And, you know, I kind of said it, we, we did a Twitter spaces with, uh, Derek, um, Derek Yoder. And 
I just said, hey, whoever gets a lead, I, I think it could be Tyler Reddick, Chase Elliott, Kyle Larson, Ross Chastain. I thought if any one of those guys actually got to the lead that they would go ahead and extend just because it was so hard to pass. I mean, Tyler Reddick really only passed two cars all day. They were really important ones in Kyle Larson and Chase Elliott. But I did think that we would see maybe some more back and forth or comers and goers, but it was ultimately whoever kind of got the lead in that comfortable, clean air just kind of set sail. Yeah, and I think that's one thing that we've seen quite a bit this year. Uh, for all the parity that the next-gen car has brought us, uh, I think there have been some racetracks not exactly conducive to passing, more so on some of the short tracks, and I'm sure it'll be an issue that we touch on when we head to New Hampshire uh, after the Quaker State 400 this weekend from Atlanta. So all in all, be interested to see if the Cup Series returns to Road America, but if you're reading some of the tea leaves and a potential announcement coming out, we may have seen the last of the big boys at Road America, but no inside intel there. We'll see what happens uh, when, before the track schedule for the 2023 season gets released in August. You can follow Chris on Twitter. That's Chris Wormy, C-H-R-I-S-W-E-R-M-E-1-5. I'm Todd Furman. You can follow me there. And most importantly, follow the podcast at Bet the Board Pod for all sorts of updates, information, and, of course, quick-hitting tidbits, especially on race day. From stage one worm to stage two, and we look at some of the analytics in NASCAR, if I can use that term, more so some of the stats involved in trying to make informed wagering decisions each and every weekend. We see some of these terms tossed around. Driver rating, which obviously comes as you can understand how each driver goes out there and is able to race from his running position, his finishing position, fast laps, and everything that feeds into it. You see average green flag speed versus average running positions, things that are thrown about. You talked a little bit about fastest lap, not just on race day, but also what we see in practice. And then if you happen to watch practice telecasts that are out there, you hear five, 10 lap, 15 lap averages in some instances. So of a lot of the terms that are out there, I wasn't sure if there were one or two that you wanted to touch on in terms of where you think they add value to the process and where it's a little bit more noise than actual substance. Yeah, I, I want to touch on driver rating first, just because I think that's kind of an easy thing to touch on. And for someone that maybe hasn't bet the sport too often or, or isn't uh, too familiar with it, it's just a great way to understand how the driver ran not necessarily, um, you know, just because, for example, let's look at um, last week's race. I guess most of the guys last week, this is actually a terrible example because most of the guys that ran up front actually had the highest driver ratings. But there's a time, let's say someone that led a lot of laps can blow a tire late in the race. And you look and you see that they finished, you know, 32nd. Well, that's not very indicative of how they actually ran in the race. That's why driver rating is so important. It definitely keeps track of, obviously, laps led and fastest laps. Um, but that's a great way to basically, um, I guess, normalize uh, all of the information that you can have in a race into one statistic. So 150 would be the perfect driver rating. Uh, you saw Chase Elliott had 144.7 driver rating last week. Tyler Reddick had 133. So uh, Chase Elliott obviously led more laps and had more fastest laps, but Tyler Reddick ultimately won the race. So if you were to sit there and say who had the best car, hmm, well, they were probably pretty even, but Tyler Reddick was good when it mattered. So I'll say that about driver rating. Um, where I'm going to stir the pot is... Oh, this is what I live oh, for, buddy. This is what I live I for. Know. You've been a team player for NASCAR betters for two I weeks, know. and I figure it's a little bit of time to upset the apple cart, but hopefully for folks that want to try and engage in debate, if you don't agree with anything Chris is about to say, you can do so on Twitter. But go ahead. The floor is yours. I don't look at green flag speed ever. I never have, and until I see a very compelling argument, I won't. 
and um i mean i could get in like i i legit think there might be fights over me saying this because there are so many people that cling to this which i'm not saying that they're wrong i'm just saying it doesn't work into my model when i'm trying to figure out the best bets for uh for a race weekend the reason for that is i think that green flag speed is so track position dependent so you see ryan blaney is obviously has had a, a and like I said, I don't pay attention to it, but I know early in the season, Ryan Blaney had the fastest green flag speed. Well, that's because he was qualifying well. And whenever you have clean air, you qualify well. So uh, I don't know how we can actually take this data, which I do think is mildly important, but it's never factored into any of the plays that I make. Um, you definitely have to make sure that you take that with a grain of salt to, to figure out what their average running position is relative to their green flag speed, because a car that's has a let's just say is fifth in green flag speed but their average running position is 20th well that's a faster car than uh, a a car that's you know running third and has maybe the fourth fastest green flag position so or green flag speed i don't know if that makes sense you know i kind of did that quickly but for the most part i don't look at green flag speed um and you know like i said i might be find myself in a debate here shortly um because i made that like public that i don't Well, I mean, but I think it's important to think about things, you know, for folks that lean on one particular metric, others are going to find different ways and forgive the cliche. There's multiple ways to skin a cat when you're trying to figure out how to get to the winner circle, whether it's with the outright market, whether it's with head to heads, or if you're looking to try and bet groups and you and I interact with a lot of folks, some people bet primarily off a proprietary math model that they'll use to inform a lot of their decisions. You and I maybe watch a little bit more, try and read the tea leaves and there's slightly more nuance, not to say that we don't pay attention to all of those things, but I think there's no perfect formula, whether it's betting NASCAR or any other sport out there that you go, Hey, look, this is the only way that you can try and bet it because we see time and time again with late race variants. There are plenty of drivers in this sport that don't show speed. They don't qualify well. They don't always practice well, but lo and behold, their average running, their average running position may be 18 to 20. But when you see that checkered flag wave after three and a half hours of watching racing, they somehow find themselves in the top five, to top eight. And if you're leaning just on your metrics to try and bet against those guys in head to head matchups, you're going to be soon separated from your bankroll. Yeah. I, 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 I honestly don't have a model. Um, I think it's really important to look at the things that you find important and like I said, there are some guys that, that use a model. They just ultimately trust their numbers and anything that falls within inside those parameters that they fire and they probably flat bet things more. Um, from my vantage point, you know, I, I just know how I operate and I get super emotional at even one loss in a race. You know, it, it could be one matchup and I just know that I operate better. I, I would rather have uh, a fewer amount of bets and uh, larger positions than a, a bunch of smaller positions that just kind of fit within my model. Ultimately, I just try to look at the, you know, take all that information in that I normally use to cap a race. But at the very end, right before the race is about to start, I just look at, you know, hey, here's the starting lineup. What do you think is really going to happen? All the numbers aside, who's going to go out there and and be able to, to provide value from a betting perspective? And that's kind of helped me... Um, kind of justify a smaller card because a lot of the times it's hard to say what's exactly going to happen in a race. So I'm okay with taking smaller or fewer bets, but larger positions in those bets. Well, and I think that's, you know, an important lesson in and of itself for people that go into a race and going, well, how many bets will you typically have on a race weekend? And for what 
you know, you and I do, I tell them all the time, it's track dependent. It's what the market will offer up as opportunities because so much of what we talk about is price that you could go in with full intentions to try and bet against certain drivers. And if the market reflects how poorly you think those drivers are going to perform, sometimes you can't bet against those guys. Like if you make a number and you want to try and lay a dollar thirty against a particular driver and the market comes out at a dollar eighty, you're not going to bet that price. If anything, you may try and make a case for the other side. And I think NASCAR, as much as some of the other sports that we all handicap, you have to pay attention to these things. And if you like a driver, you think he's going to win a race, betting him at five to one is a hell of a lot different proposition than betting him at 12 to one. And like we say, sometimes discretion is the better part of valor. And I'll repeat it over and over again, that there are some race weekends, you're going to have a full card and a lot of liability uh, going into the drop of the green flag. And there are other weekends where you're going to go, you know what, this track doesn't allow for some investment opportunities. I have to take a small and slightly more practical approach. And I can put up a little bit to try and make a lot if there's a particular flyer uh, that I want to try and dump in on. And I think that's almost the perfect segue before we get to stage three, but do want to give you a chance if there was anything else, you know, as far as the metrics and we'll come back and revisit a lot of these terms. I don't want to get too bogged down in some of the minutia of handicapping NASCAR working under the assumption that a lot of our audience hasn't done it before. So I think as they continue to watch races, this discussion will become a lot less foreign to them and we can dive into some of the specifics, maybe unpacking why a driver rating or a green flag speed that we saw in the week prior wasn't indicative of necessarily how the race went. Yeah, I think the last thing I'd like to add is I don't have a set amount of units that I bet every week. Uh, you know, sometimes these odds makers do a great job and I just have to sit back and say, hey, you know what? I don't think there's a ton of value this week. So even if it's a track that I love to bet, I will just go ahead and say, you know what? If the, if the odds are you know, pretty efficient. I'm not going to just force a bet. I'd rather just wait and maybe take something live. So, but there's other races that, you know, you just don't know what to expect until you see those odds, because it doesn't matter if I think Kyle Larson's going to win the race. I'm not going to bet him at plus 150 to win. I don't care where he is in the cup series. So if everything is price dependent and sometimes, you know, the odds makers get it right and kudos to them when they do, I'm not going to force it. I'll just uh, sit and wait for live. And sometimes that doesn't even happen. There was races last year. I didn't make one bet. I watched the whole race and tried to find live action. I know there's a Coke 600 last year. Kyle Larson just dominated. I didn't get a live bet out. So, uh, and I'm okay with that because I didn't lose anything. And, um, you know, for me, that's, you know, losing is not something that I, uh, I do very well. Yeah, I don't think anybody who's in this business and's done it as long as you have takes kindly to losing. Uh, you take every opportunity, you try and learn from it, not make the same mistakes going forward. And so much of that applies to drivers. As you continue to see some of these race teams make gains, as we get into the heart of the schedule, we're effectively at the midpoint, eight races to go before we'll know the field of 16 getting into the playoffs. And I think that's when you can see a lot of the drivers that have been here and done that raise their level of play and odds makers may be slow to the draw to try and adjust some of those prices. We'll wave the green-white checkered flag on stage two, and this provides the perfect opportunity to remind you where you can watch all of your NASCAR action this weekend. If you're looking for the truck races, you'll be able to find qualifying and practice at 3.30 Eastern on Friday. That, of course, is on FS1 at Mid-Ohio. So uh, those folks who want to see the trucks out there on a little bit of road courses, 
Uh, it's definitely pretty entertaining, and if you're looking for wrecks, you may see plenty of those guys spinning off into the grassy area more often than not. When you shift your attention to Saturday, uh, you'll have Cup Series qualifying and practice from Atlanta Motor Speedway. That'll be available for you on the NBC Sports app and USA Network at noon Eastern. You then, of course, have the truck race from Mid-Ohio on FS1 uh, at 10 or 1 o'clock Eastern, 10 o'clock Pacific, and that's when the race just starts to get fired up. Uh, you're looking at an Xfinity Series, you know, countdown to green coming at 4.30 Eastern on USA. You have the Xfinity Series race at 5 o'clock on Saturday. And then, of course, on Sunday, you'll have the Cup Series race with the green flag scheduled for 3 Eastern. So plenty of ways to get involved with all the series, whether you find an edge with the trucks, you find an edge with the Xfinity Series, or you find a bet worth making on the Cup Series. We'll see the Xfinity cars on track along with the cup at Atlanta and we'll see the trucks at mid-Ohio at the sports park there as we get into stage three a little bit of a primer as we'll return to Atlanta Motor Speedway for the second time this season a track that's a shade over a mile and a half uh, at the entertainment facility in Hampton Georgia 20 miles south of Atlanta this track has annually hosted NASCAR Cup Series since its inauguration in 1960 but it's a much different track in its current construct than what we've seen in the past. What was once one of the most bettable tracks and arguably the most exciting to watch because of a worn racing <laughs> surface is no longer the case anymore. And you saw that on full display in the race earlier this year with 46 lean changes coming from 20 drivers. The track was repaved, drastically changed uh, the way that this thing was done. Speedways turns will be changed from 24 to 28 degrees of banking. You saw the racing surface shrunk from about 55 feet to 40. And this takes on a lot more tenor of the super speedways. The Daytona, Talladega, you can believe some of the driver comments that it still does race a little bit like an intermediate track. But for those folks who want to see the field get strung out, you ain't going to see that Sunday afternoon. You'll see a lot more pack racing as these guys will go bumper to bumper for the better part of 400 laps. No greater illustration of some of the parody that you could see than when you see some unfamiliar names finishing with top 20 finishes like Corey LaJoy inside the top 10. First time around, Josh Balicki inside the top 20 and BJ McLeod as well. So I lay all of that out, Worm, to kind of go back to the point we made. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I can't imagine this track is going to lend itself to you having a big race card come Sunday afternoon. Well, you're right. <laughs> I don't know what else to say other than you're right. Um, yeah, Atlanta, it, I used to love this track. I mean, I understand why they had to repave it. There's certain instances when the sport has maybe repaved a track that I, I didn't know enough about where I was kind of questioning it, but they definitely needed to repave Atlanta. The weepers were a bit of an issue along with the seam. So I completely understand it, but it was such a fun track to bet on. I mean, the, the fact that there, there was a term called harvicking, which was just letting off so, so early uh, before entering the corner and kind of floating it through the corner and just uh, kind of dusting the field there for a while. It was kind of fun to watch, but uh a little different this year. Uh, definitely look at this as a, a pure plate race. I, I can't imagine putting into any sort of intermediate uh, statistics into this capping and into capping this race at all. 
Well, and I think it's another thing, too, for those folks who were trying to compile history. Obviously, don't look at any of the previous races at Atlanta other than what we saw run earlier this year because that data won't be reflective of what we're going to see this weekend. And you can also make the case that what we saw, despite next-gen cars returning to the scene of the crime for a second time this season, very different racing conditions. Supposed to be extremely hot and humid. Grip could be a bit of a challenge for drivers compared to much cooler temperatures earlier this year. And Worm, what I found is we're not technically supposed to call this a plate race. We're supposed to call it, and I'm going to put in air quotes, the Super Speedway Rules Package. Um, that'll, that'll be in store here, but it still was pretty funny when you read some of the driver's comments, because I think when we went to Atlanta for the first time, you saw how the market was priced, but we weren't exactly sure how it was going to race. And then you take the driver's comments and go, okay, we know which teams are going to be better. We know which teams are going to be able to learn their lesson. And I'm very curious to see who makes some of those adjustments, knowing that the stakes are significantly higher as we inch closer to the playoffs than what it was early in the year where teams were still trying to figure things out. Yeah, I think it's important to understand where all the drivers are in in the, the the cup standings because the playoffs are obviously on every team's mind whether you're on the bubble or you're already in you're thinking about a way to have an edge later in the season and you know I, I I'm pretty sure that you kind of subscribe to this thing where a must-win situation is never like a reason to bet on somebody I mean, I'm pretty sure Never. that that's, I mean, that's, they're always trying to win. And so I've, I've read a few things. Oh, Brad Keselowski's in a must win situation. Uh, yeah. He has been all year, by the way. So, um, <laughs> that hasn't changed at all. Uh, but yeah, I, I, when I'm taking into account this, this particular race, I'm only going to go with the, the restrictor plate races that we've seen this year and also including the Atlanta race earlier. I'm not going to take in any plate races from previous years and the reason for that is i've you've seen a lot of i guess comers and goers in restrictor plate races i mean if we were to look eight nine years ago kevin harvick was one of the most dominant restrictor plate racers you know we we saw there for a while he won almost everything him and jamie mcmurray and then everything kind of trended towards oh denny hamlin denny hamlin's been a great restrictor plate racer and now you're seeing guys like stenhouse and bubba wallace become good racers so i think it's really car dependent i don't want to get too caught up in previous um you know, statistics when it comes to plate racing. I just want to know how are these guys in this car this year? So I only have those three, the Talladega, Daytona, and then the first Atlanta race in my, uh, kind of my statistics wizard here. And I will use that information to kind of come up with what I think will be uh, a couple bets that might provide value. Yeah. And I think that's one thing. I mean, this is a track where you can oftentimes get some big prices now, uh, given the super speedway rules package and you put up a little bit and take some flyers. But as a result, when you look at the boards and this isn't just one sports book, it's pretty much everywhere that has odds hung for this weekend's race. There are anywhere from 13 to 15 drivers, all priced from 10 to one on the low end upwards of 20 to one before you start to drift out. And yes, you are going to still have some of your long shots. We've seen some lottery tickets come home to roost in the past. Uh, but when you talk about that must win mentality, Oftentimes, that's built into the market. And for a driver specifically that we know races well at this particular setup, and it may give him his best opportunity to punch his ticket into the postseason, like Bubba Wallace, am I running to bet him at 12 to 1? Hey, look, Bubba could win this race, but 12 to 1 doesn't offer me compelling enough value any more than some of these guys at 10 to 1 that could run up front, have a very good chance to win, but you're never going to be safely home knowing that there's a ton of shuffling to go on. So if I say all of that and you look at some of the drivers and Ross Chastain, Ryan Blaney, Chase Elliott, William Byron, Kyle Busch, Joey Logano, Denny Hamlin, Kyle Larson, Bubba Wallace, Tyler Reddick, Daniel Suarez, 
uh, just to name a few, all in that shorter price range. When you run your numbers and you look for some of those long shots and guys that may have caught your eye, are there certain drivers that our listeners can focus on uh, if they're looking to try and make a case for some players that they could consider having a chance to grab that elusive victory? Yeah, so I do have one that I'll save for kind of the best bet, but you even look at a guy like Corey LaJoy has an average finish of 11th this year on those three races. I mean, um, I'm not saying that I, I'm super high on Corey LaJoy, but that just gives you an idea of the how anyone that kind of stays out of trouble and runs a good clean race can have some great finishes. So you also see, you can see guys like McDowell has an average finish of 13th. Now, that would have been a surprise maybe three weeks ago, but now with the pace that that, that team has, I'm not shocked at all um, to see his name up there. You know, you have Justin Haley has an average finish of 15.3, and Josh Balicki has an average finish of 16. So now he's only been in one race, but still for Josh Balicki to be up there and, uh, and you know, run 16th, that just goes to show you the, the parity that these, that these types of tracks bring. So, uh, I mean... <laughs> I just am not, um, these aren't my favorite races to bet, but I definitely, anytime you see guys that are over, you know, 30, 30 to one, that's where I would concentrate most of your investments this weekend on, on someone that you think has a chance at running top five or top 10 that has an outright price of above 30 to one. And there are definitely guys that no doubt target these kind of races throughout the course of the season. They understand it gives them the best opportunity to get that golden ticket and become one of potentially 16 winners to get into the postseason. So there will be drivers that places added emphasis on here. I think what will be interesting for folks that haven't grown accustomed to watching races at Daytona, Talladega, or Atlanta earlier this year, you'll see a number of different philosophies in play as well. And I think it's Toyota that we've seen time and time again that can lag back behind the field just trying to avoid the wreck. Sometimes they'll go up, they'll test the draft and try and figure out exactly what they need to do to ride around at the front of the field to avoid the big one. Uh, but so much of this is having drafting partners that you trust. You'll see a lot of manufacturers team up with one another to put their respective drivers in the kind of position where they're able to maximize their speed and make sure they don't lose the draft at any point. So this is a little bit of a unique track, knowing the super speeds that we're going to see here. It's only a mile and a half, a far cry from Daytona and Talladega. I wasn't sure if there were anything, uh, other wrinkles that you wanted to include. I know this feels like we're shortchanging the race a little bit, but rather than trying to make a case for some drivers being relevant here, knowing that Atlanta is not a track that you and I are fond of, from a betting perspective, there will be plenty of entertainment. I think the casual fan might enjoy this a lot more than what we saw at Road America. Uh, but any of the other things uh, that you think are bringing to light before we may even pivot, get out of Dodge quickly and uh, start talking about where there may be a little bit of that wiggle room to make a bet this weekend. I actually have to give you some credit here. I think that talking about manufacturers this week is really important because usually you hear at these types of tracks like, oh, the Toyotas look great. The Ford looks great. The Chevys look great. So, you know, if you're watching practice and you see um, maybe one particular team or one particular manufacturer run well, I think it's a great time to maybe get a manufacturer bet out there. Obviously, you have to take into account that there's obviously more Chevys than, than let's just say, Toyotas. So you have to figure that into your handicapping. But usually you see one particular manufacturer kind of stand out after practicing qualifying. And that's a great way. You know, you have a 33% a, a chance of winning based on the fact that there are three options. However, like I said, that there's, you know, more manufacturers, um, you know, certain cars than, than others. But uh, you usually can see one manufacturer kind of have an edge. Um, and this week, I mean, it, you probably can't go wrong with Chevy. 
um, would be my guess. But also, ultimately, I mean, Chase Elliott has the best average finish over those three races at 7.7, then Martin Truex at 8.7, Ryan Blaney at 10.7, and Bubba Wallace 10.7. So you're actually seeing a nice mix up there at the top. Um, but usually, uh, you know, after practice and qualifying, all the other manufacturers are usually looking towards one that kind of has a setup figured out for that race. Yeah, a little bit misleading, too, when you look at some of the Toyotas that have been notoriously good on these kind of tracks. You talked about Denny Hamlin earlier. Not exactly the kind of performances we've grown accustomed to, so you do have to wonder, given some of their struggles on road courses of late, if Toyota will come in on a chip on their shoulder. And, you know, it's part of the reason that one driver that I've identified, he's on the out... Well, technically, he's pointed his way in if the season were to end today, but I know the pressure is getting cranked up. It's not quite his swan song, as he said, he'll be back next year. I mean, I shop around and I see 25 to 1 on Martin Truex and you talk about his average finish. He's probably not the leader in the clubhouse as far as JGR drivers and how they race on these type of super speedways. But an average finish so far this season, better than ninth. You're talking about Daytona, uh, where Truex came home 13th. You're looking at how he performed in Atlanta, a top 10 finish there. And Talladega, he finishes fifth. I mean, Truex is a guy, if you're looking to put up a little bit, that I'd have no problem endorsing a bet on. But at the same time, if I'm making a case for him, I'm not the expert here trying to advise our listeners where to go to the window this weekend. So, Worm, it's time to put that reputation out there, and you can preface it saying you're putting up a small stake this weekend, uh, but where have you found uh, a little bit of value and investable opportunity for this weekend's best bet? All right. You ready for this one? Uh, I don't think anyone will see this one coming, but my favorite... Is it a good thing? Is it a good thing that I record these podcasts sitting down because I'm going to need to be sitting down for you to deliver this thing? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I don't oh, think great. anyone's going to see this coming. I think the best bet that you can make at this point, uh, in the week would be on Noah Gregson to finish in the top 10. He's six to one to finish in the top 10. He's 250 to one to win the race. And I think, I mean, this was a car. He ran eighth when he ran out of talent at Charlotte. He was running eighth when he ran out of talent and, and wrecked. So I don't know if that's a, ran, I don't know ran, if that's a ran out of talent and wreck. That's yeah. one hell of a way to try and put it. Yeah. That's my pitch. Some guys right? run, some guys run out of gas on the track. Some guys just flat out run out of talent. Yeah. He just ran out of talent and spun himself out on the front stretch. I was right there and I had him in a matchup. I was very disappointed. However, that car does have speed. Um, that 16 car, uh, obviously was competitive at Coda. Wasn't super great last week or at Sonoma, but you know, I think this week, I think you might see a new Noah Gregson. I mean, he has to he has to be tame. He can't go out there wrecking people. And he, you know, I think he's fighting a little bit of his reputation. So I think if he can go out there and run a clean race, here's the thing. Drivers don't trust him if he's pissed off because he might do something stupid. But I actually do think they respect the way he races when he's racing him clean. So I think that it, I think there's be a lot of drivers that would be, um, to be willing to work with him late in the race if he's up there mixing it around because I do think he's a good plate racer and ultimately if he can keep his emotions in check he, he might be able to be there to, to maybe even get a top five yeah and this is the kind of race too and I don't want to put words in your mouth where you know we've talked about you know when we record on Wednesdays before the show goes live on Friday half positions typically max as we look to capitalize on some pre-week value the stuff that we're more bullish on comes on Sunday mornings that we posted on the website suffice to say that you know do you feel comfortable that this is even a half position selection or maybe even go a little bit smaller here given the unpredictable nature of Atlanta yeah I'd go smaller um, but I do think I, I really do kind of believe that Noah Gregson can get up there and, you know, certainly run in, in the top 10 and, 
uh, I wouldn't even think twice about it just because of speeds there. And, and he's definitely has the experience, maybe not necessarily in the cup series at restrictor plate tracks, but I think he was in the 62, maybe at Talladega. And I thought he was a little sporty there for a while, but, uh, if he can keep a clean race car, I think he can be up there. But again, uh, this would be a small position that I would take. Um, you know, as far as other drivers, maybe that, you know, you might be looking to fade. I mean, Kyle Larson, uh, hasn't had a ton of success on, uh, plate tracks. I mean, his average finish is 22nd, um, you know, in a, in an average starting spot of ninth. So he's, but he's done nothing but fade in these tracks. Obviously Tyler Reddick has hardly even finished one of these races this year. And Christopher Bell is someone that's qualified well, but hasn't necessarily performed in those three races. So if you're looking to maybe fade and I, I wouldn't do this quite yet, we want to make sure that we watch practice and qualifying, but if that's any indication of, uh, how comfortable they are in a track, in a track like this, then, uh, we might be looking to fade them later in the week. Yeah, and as always, if we have something, uh, we'll post it on the Bet the Board website on Sunday. Uh, I don't want to create false expectations or hope that there will be something additional this week like there will be most weeks throughout the course of the season. But if there is, uh, we'll be sure to share that on social media. And it's you know just part of the reason why you need to follow Chris at Chris Wormy, C-H-R-I-S-W-E-R-M-E-1-5 on Twitter. You can follow me there, Todd Furman, T-O-D-D-F-U-H-R-M-A-N. And most importantly, Bet the Board Pod for all sorts of updates as it pertains to any race day additions for Sunday. And Wormser, you know, despite having the Super Speedway rules package on full display, I feel like we made our listeners a little bit smarter. We gave them plenty of information to chew on, and you created some vitriol in the NASCAR betting community. So I feel like we've done, run, done and gone and run the full gamut uh, of NASCAR experiences on today's show. Yeah, I'm looking forward to all the um, green flag or green flag speed supporters to fill up my timeline. I'm excited about that. And also, one last thing, I, I said something incorrectly last week. I said Confucius said that a life worth living, or uh, an unexamined life, is not worth living. That was actually Socrates. So um, I was just wanted to point that out that I was wrong, and uh, I need to get that right next time. But I still like Worm well, Fucius. I think that that fits a lot better than Worm. Socrates, but uh, I definitely wanted to call myself out on trying to sound smart and failing miserably. You know, you pick enough winners around here, you can cite Greek philosophers, you can go into <laughs> Roman times, okay. and maybe one of our most creative, you know, loyal listeners of Stay Green out there will decide to Photoshop your face onto, you know, Miles the Monster, and we can circulate that to all of our listeners. That so sounds great. Someone for- get creative. <laughs> For Chris, uh, I'm Todd Furman. want to wish all of you guys the best of luck with the Quaker State 400 this weekend. Thank you, as always, for tuning in to the Stay Green Podcast. And with a Noah Gregson top 10 ticket in hand come Sunday afternoon, hopefully we'll see you at the window. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates Northbrook, Illinois.